0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude right to Allah. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Kandalvi's uh, book on the inseparability of Sharia and Tariqa. And now I think we're doing dhikr? Yes. Okay, go for it. Uh,
1: remembrance of Allah, dhikr. The main tool by which Ihsan is achieved is Dhikr, dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Dhikr of Allah is the core of all meditative, meditative devotions in Tasawuf. It is performed with certain restrictions and in different methods to produce the effects that eventually bring about Ihsan. The four paths of Naqshbandi, Naqshbandiya, Jistiya, Suha, Suharwardiya, Suharwardiya and Qadriya is all, are all Prescribe their own methods of performing
0: the of Allah? Okay, so there's a few ways here to, to look at zikr. Number one, much of zikr is recitation of Qur'an, uh, a prescribed number of times, uh, recitation of names of Allah, a prescribed number of times. And I'm emphasizing prescribed number of times because um, these are medications. And just like with if you take the wrong medication, if you self-diagnose without training, you can harm yourself with the wrong medication. And the same thing is with uh, incorrectly incorrect choices in recitations especially the names of Allah, right? So there's some names that are the names of Jamal, the names of Rahmah, the names of beauty, and then there's others that are the names of Jalal, <coughs> power and majesty. Especially with the names of power and majesty you have to be very careful. You can really affect yourself. Uh, in very harmful ways, most people won't won't take this as, as realistic, but it's a thing, right? And so, in these four schools, commonly, so of these four schools, three of those you will find very commonly in Chicago: Qadriya, chistiya, and naqshbandiya right? And there's probably a bunch of people here in school who are who are one or more of those, and and so usually for each of these, you'll be prescribed a wīrd, which is your daily recitation, right? And that and for some people, they'll prescribe a wīrd that might take five minutes. Other people prescribe a weird that might take uh, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a student who doesn't go to school here, who went to school in Morocco, and his teacher prescribed him a weird that literally takes about an hour and a half every day. I don't know how he does it, but you know, not have for him. And almost all of it is recitation of ayahs, recitation of blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him, recitations of names of Allah um, in a certain order. Right. And so this is a, a whole science of its own. This is way, way beyond my knowledge. Right? And so, <clears throat> I mean, there's some certain amounts of things that, you know, everyone has access to. Like, you know, uh, as protection from, from waswasa and such, you know, recite the last two quls, things like that. Right? Or some will even say the last four quls. But one aspect of dhikr, or of adhkar, plural, is just the recitation with your tongue. And your tongue is one of, uh, like your eyes and your heart, one of the things that affects your heart tremendously. Your, your eyes and your ears, I should say, I'm sorry, not your eyes and your heart, your eyes and your ears, they affect your heart tremendously by whatever you take in, right? So even like the movie we just saw, I get very, very concerned, uh, uh, not in terms of the academic side of things, but the spiritual side of things, mm-hmm. hearing all this bad language, yeah. right? And so you'll always see me, like, grimace every time those, those uh, words are, are, are mentioned. But then your tongue also affects your heart, right? And so it's very important to keep good things on your tongue. Silence is better than bad things, but good things is better than silence. Okay? Um, and, and what else is dhikr? Dhikr, if you don't even know the meaning, is still benefiting your heart, inshallah. Um, but if you know what the meanings of what you're reciting, then it's like self-programming. So, for example, think of the hadith where this companion goes to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and says, you know, advise me. And the Prophet says, "La taghdab." Don't get angry. And then again he says, advise me. La Again, la uh, And so at one level, you can just see it as instruction, don't get angry. Another is keep saying, la 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 Right? Don't get, angry, don't get angry, don't get angry, don't get angry. And this becomes a type of self-programming. So, so on the one hand, dhikr is almost like doing push-ups on your heart. Right? Or, you know, exercise for your heart. For your, your spiritual heart. And on the other hand, it is also programming your behavior. Right? If you keep saying nasty things you're also programming your, your thinking. If you keep saying positive things, you're also programming your thinking. So see, words works those two ways. So think about the hadith that, you know, when you say subhanallah or alhamdulillah or allahu akbar, it just fills up the whole sky. Mm-hmm. At one level, there's something in the unseen that is beyond our knowledge, right? At another level, it is also programming yourself. So if you're saying subhanallah, make it your practice, you're going to start seeing things that are of the wonder of Allah or you will re- really appreciate things as the wonder of Allah. And this is very much one of the core, core practices of the sawaf. And what is that? It is uh, treating your heart by way of your tongue. Yeah. And you'll hear me over and over in Khutbas say, if you can't control your tongue, what can you control? Right? Mm-hmm. Like people who can't stop gossiping, who can't stop saying bad words and such, you're revealing what's in your heart and you're also further influencing your heart. So the tongue is the easiest thing in the world to control. Right? Maybe the only thing easier might be to close your eyes you know, when something nasty is present. You know? Okay, let's go to the next one.
1: Uh, Ihsan. In the hadith of Jibreel, salam, Ihsan is defined as worship of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, as if you see him. And if this is not so, then that he is seeing you. It is important to note that the Blessed Prophet did not say, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees you, because Ihsan is not an intellectual attainment, but a conscious state of awareness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is born in the heart.
0: So we've talked about the Hadith of Jibreel, right, even in, in that class. And this is an important point. <coughs> Intellectually, you already know Allah sees everything, but to have that consciousness that Allah is seeing what I'm doing, uh, and you will still find sometimes, you know, a person will do sins knowing Allah's watching, but they just want to do the sin so much. And that is a person who doesn't have an appreciation for Allah, right? right. And, and, and so the easiest way to think about it is if someone's committing a sin, would they commit the same sin if someone else was standing there? Mm-hmm. Most cases, no, right? And so they might imagine Allah's watching them, but they really haven't had an appreciation of it, right? Uh, but then it gets really bad, when you have a sin that involves multiple people, that's corruption, mm-hmm. right? So, and those are the ones that have the really big punishments, you know, like al uh, zina, mm-hmm. um, you know, fraud, um, theft, because you're involving someone else, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to something you do yourself privately, right? And and so that is that's fahish, that's that's literally corruption. Okay.
1: Ihsan <laughs> 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 is the highest level of iman. The Sawwuf in all of its parts, Baya, to a mentor, and the meditative devotions and exertions are for the sole objective of achieving Ihsan. Ihsan was easily achieved in the time of the Prophet wasallam through obligatory acts, recitation of the Qur'an, and by being in the blessed, company of the blessed Prophet wasallam. <laughs> As, this, uh, as the spiritual condition of the community deteriorated over time, the level of Ihsan could, not be, could no longer be attained in the same manner and through the same acts as if it was the time of the Prophet. Thus, the spiritual masters developed new methods, meditative devotions, and exertions to help attain the, the level of
0: Ihsan. Because okay, that's pretty straightforward, right? I mean, if you're in the company of the Prophet, peace be upon him, you're getting barakah just by looking at the Prophet, peace be upon him. You're getting barakah just by being in his presence. And so there's that hadith I always like to narrate of Handala, who is walking through the street saying, Nafaqa Handala, Nafaqa handala, handala. Handala has perished, or Handala has become a hypocrite. And then Abu Bakr sees him, ask, and I'm paraphrasing, asks, you know, what are you saying? Why are you saying this? And he says, when I'm with the Prophet, peace be upon him, I feel like my iman is so high. And when I go away, I feel like it goes down. Abu Bakr says, I have the same issue. So let's ask the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the Prophet says, your iman is so high because I'm the Prophet, peace be upon him. And even try to conceive of that. That think of you know what level your iman uh, is or may be. You know when you're walking through through nature, or walking through the sun, or, or you know at salah with other people. But imagine just sitting with the Prophet peace be upon him. Automatically, your iman is going to go high, right? So you're not just sitting with a teacher. You're sitting with the one with whom Allah has communicated directly, yeah. the one whom angels show themselves, right, and the one whom you know angels even revere. And and so then he says, if that if your iman remained that high, uh, angels would come to shake hands with you while you're in bed, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah, so the other point here is that we don't have the prophet peace be upon him physically in front of us this way. So the the spiritual masters have figured out, have developed other techniques, and all of it derives from Quran and Sunnah.
1: And to some extent, like when you're um with somebody who's like close to Allah, so you actually still feel, these, uh-huh. you feel that effect upon the heart. Yeah, yeah. It's probably just like a glimmer of the, Yeah, that's exactly the, it. The, the, the yeah. the, the, the,
0: the. I was once, the first time I experienced this, I was sitting with people who were tabli jamat. Mm-hmm. And they were just on jawla going from house to house. And so we were sitting with them. And uh, all this person was talking about was the qudra of Allah, right? I don't even know what he did professionally. Because, you know, TJs are usually just regular people. Yeah. And I f- while he was speaking, I just felt this sweetness coming inside of me that I had never experienced before. Another time I experienced that was one particular night when I was doing the Hajjud. Like just this, this sweetness that is not describable mm-hmm. beyond that, that was just coming inside of me, almost like through my chest. And yeah, I can't imagine what it's like being in his company. Yeah.
1: So then the, uh, comes to the question in my mind, so then in, in light of like what we've talked about before like when you're trying to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then you sometimes have like a spirit like a, you feel a spiritual or you have a sweetness uh-huh. is that necessarily like because of your closeness to Allah or is that because of some effect of, of that uh-huh. or is it like something that brought up from yourself because you know like I was saying uh-huh. before like sometimes you pray and like it's like you're just uh-huh. praying but you're like you're conscious of Allah you uh-huh. know you're pra- praying to Allah but it like, feels like there's nothing there uh-huh. um, other times you're like oh my gosh you know it's coming uh-huh.
0: So, (laughs) I would distinguish between exhilaration and the sweetness, Uh, but in both cases, I would look at them as dessert, right? Mm. Uh, That this is, you know, a small little gift you've received in that moment, right? And sometimes it might be something that you need um, that will play out at some other point. So, like when you see the prophet, peace be upon him in your dream, a lot of times in our culture, we present it as uh, an honor, which it is, Right? Um, but sometimes maybe you needed to see him. Right? And I'll give you one example. Uh, when, uh, sometimes people come to me and say, they'll ask me, you know, I used to see the prophet, peace of him when I was in a dream, but I don't see him anymore. Okay? Like I used to see him when I was a kid, but not anymore. And you know what red flag that pulls in my mind? Uh, that maybe they were abused when they were kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had multiple cases, like for example, where somebody young would see the prophet, peace of him in their dream, and he's telling, he's telling the child, don't go into that room, go into this other room. Okay. And they remember the dream but they wake up and they go into that room, the room they weren't supposed to go into, which is where their uncle was, who then, you know, who then abused him. And so I've seen this a few times. And so what I'm saying is that sometimes the prophet, peace is coming to you in your dream because you need it. He's actually coming to you uh, to protect you from something or to elevate you from something. And, and so likewise, when you have some of those moments, maybe you didn't need it at that moment, but maybe something else will happen to you later on in your life, and then in the right time you'll have a remembrance of the sweetness mm-hmm. that'll help you, like maybe you're having a struggle with faith. Mm. So it could be dessert, or it could be something that's being planted into you for usage later on.
1: The example of meditative devotions and exertions are like the mushaf, the hard copy of the Quran. There was no mushaf in the time of the blessed Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Nor is there any evidence of it in the Quran and Sunnah. Yet uh, the Prophet uh, yet never has controversy arisen about it being an innovation.
0: Okay, so you understand this point here, right? That one of the first bid'ah of our community is putting the Quran to book form, right? So a lot of times people will argue against the Sufis, saying, "You're doing all these things that the Prophet did not do." But there are a lot of things that we do that the Prophet did not do. And even when we were covering in class, you know, putting the Qur'an to book form, Abu Bakr's first response was what? How can I do something yeah. the Prophet did not do? But then Abu Bakr decided, yeah, this is khayr. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is what will be explained in a second. Go ahead. Uh, keep. This is because?
1: This is because the community understands that it is uh, necessary... That is a necessary means of achieving an order of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, which is pre- pre- preservation of the Quran. One will find numerous ex- examples of such tradi- such acts, traditional schools, books on Deen, etc. Of which there is no evidence from the Quran and Sunnah, but which are necessary only because they are a means of achieving an order of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and thus have gained the consensual uh, acceptance of the whole community.
0: Okay, so what are we saying? There are some innovations in our history, like they mentioned, like the schools of fiqh or even books about deen. Mm -hmm. But what is your goal? The goal is to help you fulfill commands of Allah. That's the fundamental goal, Mm -hmm. right? If you're just writing something, um, just abstractly, then it might be a distraction, right? Uh, But somewhere in there, your core goal should be to bring people closer to Allah according to how Allah prescribes it, Mm -hmm. Right? And so the adkar that people have developed is something new. But the point is to then make it uh, easier for us to fulfill the fard, right, and and so forth.
1: So then, um, how does somebody identif- identify something as bidah and something as just you
0: know? So so basically, Bidas then get it, uh, identified as bidah hasana bidah bida and. So, there's a teaching attributed to Aisha radiallahu anha, where she says if someone introduces something that is not of ours, that we're not familiar with, it'll be rejected. Mm-hmm. And where that's commonly understood is that if you introduce something in matters of aqidah, mm-hmm. so if you say that okay there's a prophet after Muhammad, peace be upon him, all right, rejected. Mm-hmm. right? Even if you try to use legal language or, or whatever, try to use loopholes to make the point, rejected. Okay. So matters of aqidah, you don't add anything. Mm-hmm. The most you can do is from within what the Qur'an specifically says, what the Prophet specifically says, see if you can derive other conclusions, right? Um, matters of ibadah, you don't add anything. You may possibly alter something because of your situation. And one proof of that is that the Prophet, peace be upon or Allah says, this is in Surah al-Baqarah, that if you're in fear, you know, either you pray alternating, maybe even pray uh, uh, sitting, uh, riding on a horse. And some people translate that as a f- particular fear prayer, but the point is that yeah, if you're in danger, you might alternate. This crowd prays while the others stand guard, and then vice versa, mm. right? Um, <clears throat> but suppose you have weather problems, you know, or suppose you know for certain you're going to have tremendous difficulty making your prayer. So sometimes people will pray their asr early or will pray their maghrib late. Okay, um, but those are not the norm practices. Um, And so bidah hasana would then be those things that are facilitating your obligations. So at the time of the Prophet their masjid didn't have a roof. Imagine if we did that here, Mm -hmm. right? Their masjid didn't have carpet. Um, Carpet makes it easier to pray, right? Especially all of us, we're all soft compared to the Sahaba, right? So yeah, I mean, the basic idea is uh, achidah, no, ibadah, no, but in other practices, if it facilitates ibadah, then it may be a hasana. But all those things you do have to handle carefully. A lot of times, when you have non-scholars running the community, then they'll just do things because they think it's a good idea, but it may not be. Yeah. Especially, I don't like people changing matters of ibadah, because ibadah is beyond logic. Yeah. right? Other matters, social interaction, financial matters, it's a different issue. Like the exercise when you looked at the ayah, um, the ayah uh, about taking loans. Yeah. right? Uh-huh. But that's the basic idea.
1: The meditative devotions and exertions devised by the spiritual masters fall under the same category of acts that help achieve an order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is an achievement of ihsan. It is essential to note here that these acts are, are a means to an objective and are not objectives in themselves. Uh-huh.
0: So, so he is making ihsan the destination, but built into that is ihsan itself is Allah is your relationship with Allah. Mm-hmm. But... The the object in itself, he's saying, okay, your goal is not just to memorize the entire Qur'an. Mm-hmm. Your goal is to memorize the entire Quran to become closer to Allah. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Therefore, if somebody takes an, uh, them as an, as objectives, he is innovating in the deen. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. 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 Okay, next one. Meditative devotions. Shur al, uh, al ashral. Ashral. Ashral, Oh asqal. Yeah. Uh, Linguistically means to be occupied in something.
0: Yeah, like this is sometimes people ask you, like, you know, what's your work? They'll use this word, like, what do you do for a living?
1: Oh, okay. Any type of meditative devotion prescribed to train the heart in keeping busy with remembrance of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and eventually achieving ihsan is called shugul.
0: Okay, so these are different variations of what we would, generically, we would call dhikr, mm-hmm. right? And these are subtle differences that will make more sense throughout the text.
1: Okay. Next one. <laughs> Uttered devotions, awrad. Other devotions are the devotions in which only the tongue is occupied in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and which, is, which in meditation of the heart is not required. This includes tasbihat, subhanAllah, alhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar, and such other devotions.
0: Okay. So what seems to be the difference between the shughal al-asqal and awra'ab? Um
1: To some extent... I, sh- I want to say, like, meditative, like, uh, meditative devotion is something it's more outward, and mm-hmm. it's something that you, I don't know how to put it into words, but you, uh, you take what you have of, like, like the deen, and then you try to apply
0: it into your life. Mm-hmm. Even, even more simply than that. So, so, awrad is, you have a specific, pr- a specific prescription for what to recite. Mm-hmm. Recite, uh, Subhanallah X number of times, for example. And then, and then, what he's speaking above, we're talking about. Like, for example, what I, what you often see me do uh, after salah, is I'll just be in a type of concentration, yeah. and just reflecting. Mm-hmm. And that's more like this, oh, okay. right? So I'm not necessarily reciting anything. And and the key difference is, you know, are you reciting anything or not?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. So would it like fall into like marakaba and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I'm guessing Morakaba will probably be here at some point. That's why I didn't mention it, but okay. uh, I haven't seen it so far. But yeah, oh. yeah. Right. Spiritual exertions,
1: mujahada, mujahada.
0: Yeah, single plural. Yeah.
1: Any type of uh, effort or exertion, whether prescribed by a sheikh or not, that is used to help suppress and dominate the lower self nafs, is called mujahada. The f- four ca- major major categories of mujahadat are minimal talking. Minimal qilat uh, al-kalam, <coughs> minimal sleep, al-manam, <coughs> minimal socialization, al-ikhtilat ma al-anam, and minimal eating and drinking, al <coughs> mm-hmm.
0: <coughs> So what's common among all four of these? That's the easy part. Oh, uh, well, basically just doing your everyday stuff. Yeah, keeping everything min- uh, minimum, uh, yeah. self-control. So mujahada, a big part of mujahada in the Sufi way is extra self-control. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, talking, sleeping, socialization, eating, drinking. Yeah. So what are we saying? These are four ways that your heart can become neglectful. You know, if you just keep talking and talking and talking and talking, you can reach a point where you just stop paying attention to what you're saying and you start saying very negative things, nasty things. That's often what, where a lot of the problems of gossip and bad language come from. People just become too lazy with their tongue, mm-hmm. right? Minimal sleep, if you, eat, if you eat too much, you sleep too much, then you lose too much, right? So minimal sleep, minimal eating and drinking, and then minimal socialization. And what is common among all these? If you do them too much, it becomes very easy to become neglectful. So these are prescriptions.
1: Reality, haqiqah. Reality, haqiqah hmm. means reality. <clears throat> Imam Quraishi says... Qushayri. Oh, kusheiri. Uh, sharia is servitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where, whereas haqiqah is observation of the Lordship of Allah Sharia is to worship Him while Hakika is to see Him. Sharia is to implement His order while haqiqah, whereas Hakika is to observe His decree.
0: Okay. Can I get a sense of the difference?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, I might have given the example from Dr. Omar where he says, Sharia is the milk mm-hmm. and Hakika is the butter that comes from the milk. Mm-hmm. So the foundation must be sharia. Mm-hmm. And that automatically is spirituality. The fact that you're... Uh, when you're doing it, you're fulfilling sharia. But the fact that you're doing it to, to serve Allah is, by definition, spirituality. Mm-hmm. It is getting closer to haqika, which is reality. You know? And then, when you reach Ihsan, it's as though you see him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
1: Shaykh Tan- uh, Tanwi says, After the heart of the seeker is purified and illuminated through the Vicar of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, certain realities of the co- uh, corporate corporeal and non-corporeal are made evident to him. More specifically, the reality of good and bad deeds, the reality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his attributes and his dealings, especially those between him and his servants. So
0: this is one of those things that's very difficult to truly describe beyond what he's saying here. And so uh, an analogy you often hear from me is that you you look at the world when you're 10 years old a particular way. And when you're 20, you look at that 10-year-old and think, wow, that kid didn't know anything, Right. And when you're 40, you're going to look back at the 20-year-old version of you and have more of an enhanced uh, view of how the world works. And that's a little bit like what we're describing here. I, have much, I think I have much more of a con- uh, consciousness of <clears throat> good and bad. We all know what is good and bad, but good and bad affects me a lot more. So a movie that has violence and language, when I was in my 20s, yeah, I didn't really think too much. Mm-hmm. Now it, like, it really jars me. And that could also just be uh, relate to the fact that I have children. And some of this also begins to grow, especially automatically when you start really facing your mortality. Mm-hmm. Right? There's lot, some people who, when they know their death is coming statistically near, they don't want to talk about it all. For other people, they're realizing, okay, look at how much time I've used up and how much time do I have left. Mm-hmm. So let's say statistically someone lives to be uh, age 80, that means I've used or already used over half of my life. Otherwise, if, if I'm scheduled to live to age 60, I've already used three quarters of my life. Okay, that means I have one quarter of my life left. Right? And what am I going to do with it? So those are other ways to develop this consciousness. But the key point that the Sheikh Tanvi is mentioning is that as you're getting more purified, you're seeing reality for what it is. While you will see many of your peers are caught up in the fluff of reality. False illusions. Yeah. And then let's finish off this part.
1: For example, one is uh, knowledge of an apple and one is reality that one gains after seeing and tasting an apple. Likewise, when the heart is purified, the realities explained of the transient world and the heart hereafter in the Qur'an and Sunnah become plain and clear to the seeker. Okay,
0: so more of the same point. Mm-hmm. And even, um, how can you describe what an apple tastes like? You can describe that it's kind of crispy, it's sweet, but at some point you're going to have to say, well, it's kind of apple flavor. You know? Or how do you describe chocolate? Like, try to describe the, what chocolate is like without using the word chocolate. You know, it's chocolatey, right? And, and so what, uh, the key point I'm ma- mentioning is that for a lot of these things, you can't really describe them, mm-hmm. except in the most abstract language, which is what we have here. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that you're seeing reality more for what it is. You're getting clarity. Cool. Okay, let's stop right here. We, we covered a lot of really, really big uh, points. And then next time, inshallah, we'll get into bond nisbah. You of the last questions or anything?
1: Uh, if you have just a, one moment. Yeah. Um, there's, this is uh, from, like, class before the last class, I forgot to ask. But, um, let's see. So, basically, uh, we were uh, critiquing the, like, the Salafi outlook, Yeah. Uh, basically. and But what you said was that the sickness that ha- occurs within is, like, it plays out in their children. Yeah. So, what, what do you mean? Like, what so, do you see? so,
0: not necessarily limited to the Salafis. This is yeah. going to apply to anybody. Is... You know, there's the every generation has to figure out how to practice their Islam, and then that's the Islam you're handing off to your children. And the but a lot of issues that if you haven't resolved them in your heart, uh, like you have doubts in your heart, they're going to manifest in your children, right? And they're especially going manifest, to manifest in your grandchildren. And another way to think about this is that if I'm not serious about my deen, I'm teaching my children to not be serious about their deen. Everyone will say, you know, you should be good with your prayers, but. If I'm not doing it, if I'm not waking up my kids for fudger, then basically I'm saying, number one, it's not important. Sleep is more important. Number two, I'm saying I don't care about the salvation. And that becomes their norm. Mm -hmm. And so chances are they're going to raise their kids with even less. And these are things to be very cautious about, that the way you live your life, you are also raising your children and you're also raising your grandchildren that way. And, And so... Uh, I don't remember what else I might have specifically said about the, about the subject. We about the
1: lead, and then like, I think I might have asked a question about how um, you know there would probably be individuals who cr- critique that. So I don't know if was. Yeah, I don't remember specifically. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And and this is a this is a big thing in our society, American society, American culture is very very strong. It's very easy to get washed away here, mm-hmm. right? And and so there are ways that a person has to hold on to their deen even though you're swimming against the very first tide okay. and it's not just us, every community of, of religious people faces it the Jews, the Christians, the Hindus, the Buddhists and more people than not get wiped away sometimes they get wiped away by, by making complete fake version of their religion which is what Muslims are going to do too because everybody else does mm-hmm. uh, which looks like Islam on the outside but has no Islam inside of it you know? and, and so a lot of this material becomes very important to truly, truly internalize and then it'll play out in how you live your life and how you raise your children. So. Mm-hmm. Alright, oh, and maybe I may have missed, made the point that a lot of people take the opinion that if you're more strict, you're more Islamic, mm-hmm. and that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It works for certain things, but if you get too strict, then it's like a pendulum, then your children may rebel by becoming, mm-hmm. uh, by having blowback. See
1: that, like, with every, almost everybody here now. Yeah.
0: And then, if you become too loose, then you water everything down, mm-hmm. right? So the challenge, the hard part, is to find what is the proper middle way. And that's the actual way that lasts the longest, but it's the hardest one to figure out. Okay, mm-hmm. okay we'll stop here. Subhanakallahumma <laughs> bihamdika Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasstafiruka wa nabi lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasstafiruka wa lake. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nasstafiruka wa nabi lake wa alhamdulillah awana anilhamdulillahirabbilalameen.